It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For non-conformists, one hit of quitters. For Tyson types, for Shea figures. Let's get it together. Come on, let's make it. Gotta make it. To make it. To make it. To make it. To make something happen. To make something happen. To make something happen. Let's make something happen. Word the viper gonna bring it to the overlord. Drake and Cisco chilling with the gold microphone cords. And we grip our balls every time we stuntin' on tour. Cause we never bore. Responding to the ready crowd's roar. And promoters try to hit us with the auto war. We about our business. We not quit. They might be mariners. Look out landings. Prospects. Focused podcast. I am your host as just about always, John Troopin. Uh, joined today by my two favorite co-hosts. Uh, we have Joe Doyle. Joe, how are you doing uh, on this this morning? We're we're now uh, under a week away from draft day. Um, it'll be, I believe, just one week away exactly when uh, mm-hmm. when this is up and in in folks' earbuds. Yeah, next Wednesday. We're just uh, about a week away. It'll be really nice to have tangible, real, active baseball things. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it is a small thing, smaller than ever, but it's it's something. Uh, joining us as well, we have Lookout Landing's managing editor, fearless leader, Kate Producer. Kate, how goes it? How what what sort of summary beverage? Do you have on hand? Uh, oh, to, well, I am uh, <laughs> working against the gray weather and sort of gray feelings inside my heart over the past couple of weeks with a uh, pineapple coconut seltzer from the good people at Target, um, which is just like being on vacation if your vacation sucked. So, 
Fantastic. <laughs> it's a... It was a rough ad campaign when they put that out there, and and I really don't know why they stuck with it. They put so much money into it, uh, and you really think they could have done better. I was just like, oh, it'll be tropical. It'll it'll take me away a little bit, but really, it just kind of tastes like sadness. <laughs> well, I'm I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> a life once uh, lived. I I I wish we were. Uh, discussing some some cheerier things since there's no really no shortage of things that are pretty dispiriting in the world um at the moment but uh we're going to split this podcast today into sort of two parts we're going to talk about uh the recent uh minor league cuts uh about 44, I believe, we, we established it was. Minor league players or players on minor league contracts uh, were released by the Mariners uh, and sort of talking through that in the first half. And then we'll come back in the second half uh, with, in, I suppose, a cheerier thing. Let's uh, keep it in the back. Uh, looking at players beyond the first round. You know, we've talked a lot about the, the most notable names in the draft and where Seattle might go at pick number six. But we're uh, we're gonna try and cover uh, some picks that you could very well see that might make sense at picks number forty three, sixty four, seventy eight, one hundred and seven, and one thirty seven. And that's uh, it. And... That's it. That's all the picks they get this year, which is wild. Yeah. I don't think that fully processed for me because I'm so used to like kind of giving up the draft after the third round or so. Like sometimes I'll look at. Um, when we did like the, the college conference previews and you'd look at a whole yeah. team and you'd be like, oh, that looks like an eighth rounder. That looks like 10th rounder, which is also just really good practice. If you want to get practice in on scouting, trying to project mm-hmm. based on their role ceiling, where guys might go. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, th- that's it. Like this year we're projecting guys who are up to fifth rounders and that's it. And, uh, that yeah. means five. I guess we have six uh, because of the comp pick, but that means six players, six, six slots. Yeah. I think it just hit home how few guys we're going to get to talk about this year um, compared to previous years. And like how many guys are just not going to have a shot? How many guys are not going to hear their name called? And it just became real, really real to me in doing this yeah. exercise. Do you think um, just as a sidebar that this has even though it's not a good PR look for Major League Baseball, do you think it's turning into a bit of a, almost a positive in terms of how many eyes they're going to get on this thing? Because, you know, in the past, you'd never see anybody mock five rounds of an MLB draft. It just, or at least not major publications. It just wouldn't happen. So this year you got people that, like like us, that are invested through the entire draft, and it's being picked up by the flagship ESPN as well. So even though uh, the optics of this look very poor, um, at the end of the day, there's certain levels of exposure that it seems Major League Baseball is getting, or at least the minor league and amateur side of, of the game. Yeah, I think it will be hopefully if they do it right and it's MLB so I don't really trust them to but it's a real opportunity to start to sow excitement 
for this next generation of players who will be coming up. And, you know, if you tell their story com compellingly, I'm not saying you have to go all ESPN, especially because, you know, when you're dealing with a lot of baseball players, mostly who, who mostly come from, let's be honest, pretty privileged backgrounds, you know, in fifth grade, he was devastated by the loss of his favorite toy truck. I mean, you, they're not going to be able to, like, quite crank up the drama like they did with, which some would argue that that went a little too far during the NFL draft, digging too deeply into these guys' stories and, um, you know, really painting one part of their lives over <laughs> overly heavily. But it, it's a good opportunity for them to tell these stories and to get people invested in these people and um, unfortunately, it's also happening at a time where they're cutting back minor league baseball and, and, you know, we'll cover that when we talk about the cuts. So it's a weird mixed message, but I think make lemons out of lemonade and make the most of what you have. And what you have is a literally captive audience. So, uh, get people excited about these players because they're exciting guys. I think the, uh, I think it's a mixed bag in terms of the draft uh coming coming into a little more prestige this year because as you said uh you know it's great that it's on espn as kate said i'm not sure i trust uh mlb to properly market the the event particularly well or, or present it particularly well otherwise but it is an opportunity to make these guys who can be nationwide stars, can be household names, um, you know, that. And a lot of that, for better or for worse, starts at this age of you have guys that you follow from the start. You know, it's why people, Bryce Harper is probably the best or at least one of the best known baseball players because, you know, he's not one of the best baseball players necessarily. He's he's a great player, but it's because people knew him since he was 16 and, and – a big part of that is getting people excited and getting people engaged to care about this now. Um, I think it's unfortunate as a result that it is only five rounds. Even if it was just 10 rounds, it, it would be a slightly bigger event. You'd have, you know, really something quite compelling, uh, for, for a couple of days here. Uh, and so I think we're, we're losing out on a little bit of that, but I think it'll still be pretty interesting to see. And I, I am excited for it to be, an event, a, an actual sports event, for the um, for the first time really that we've had in in the in the states recently. Um, but with the with the start of some new careers, unfortunately, we've had the uh, recent uh, ending of a number of careers, or at least a potential conclusion of a number of careers, uh, and that has come really across the league. Uh, I haven't actually seen, I don't know if either of you have seen a, a sort of estimated number of total cuts, but it's it's been in the hundreds easily, in maybe even approaching a, a thousand or so minor leaguers um, cut from nearly every team across the league, and the Mariners uh, were no different in cutting 44 guys. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't like these were top prospects, for, for us, you know, for Seattle or for, for any club. But it was guys that, you know, we had followed. It was it was guys who were not – it was not unthinkable that they could make the big league club. And, and the 
you know, the, the circumstances here had led to the end of a premature conclusion of their Mariners careers. Yeah. I mean, you never want to see, you never want to see these guys lose their opportunity to, you know, perform and make their way up the system and develop. And a lot of these guys are losing that opportunity. Um, I, you know, I hate to play, I, I hate to play devil's advocate, but there, there's two things that I really want to be expressed in this entire situation. This is a no win situation for baseball. There's no way that with minor league contraction, um, Major League Baseball is going to come out of this looking any better than they went into it. Um, but I think a lot of people are losing the the story here. And it's not that these players are getting cut uh, to save money. At the end of the day, they're, they're getting let go. They're getting released because they, they actually don't have anywhere to play. Um, mm. There's not going to be a minor league season. And because there's not going to be a minor league season, there's nowhere for these guys to play anyways. Um, when 2021 comes around and 42 minor league organizations have been stripped from the sport, there's still not going to be anywhere for them to play. And with five new draft picks coming in this year and 20 new draft picks coming in next year, you know, that's, that's 25 spots that are taken and there's an additional 25 to 30 that will be taken losing an affiliate ball club. So I may be in the minority when I say this, but the teams that are electing to not cut any minor leaguers and keep them throughout the entire 2020 season, and then uh, what they'll ultimately have to do is release them in 2021, I think that's actually a disservice because... It's not giving these guys a full year to prove themselves and latch on to another organization. It's giving these guys another year to get older and phase themselves out demographically from being a conversation to a lot of organizations. And for those that think, well, why not just why not just pay them? They are only going to make fifty two hundred dollars this year. I mean, it's not like we're we're talking about. Um, money that was going to you know pay for their well-being um these guys had other jobs on the side to to get by and so i i'm like i said i may be in the minority camp when i say this but i think if they're let go now and they're given the opportunity to sign somewhere else and latch on to another organization um it'll be more beneficial in the end for them but i don't get me wrong i totally understand the optics that um, with all of the budget cuts and all of the organizational cuts and everything, anybody that you release right now is going to be a, a PR hit. I think I was disappointed to see how many of the players released were lower level players. Um, just because it feels like clearing out a bunch of guys from the Dominican Republic, clearing out a bunch of guys from the AZL, uh, the hardest ones, I think, for me to write up were the guys who had just been drafted in 2019. It was like, it was some of them were signed as free agents in 2019. Some of them, I mean, one guy had li literally five innings pitched. Well, I, 
what can you show? What can you have showed in that amount of time? I know they see these guys in practice and they have their Rapsodo data and they have all that other stuff, but like you had five innings and there were five good innings. Like what I would feel so discouraged and despondent if I were a player who just didn't feel like I got enough chance to show what I could do. And now you have to try to catch on in a job market that's gotten really tough. And, you know, it's not the player's fault. And I do agree that I think the Mariners releasing these guys and letting them go knock on other doors and see if there are other opportunities out there for them is ultimately probably a kinder cut. I mean, it's being unkind to be ultimately kind. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that it's the position that we're in is because baseball is hell-bent on contracting the minor leagues, on bringing the minor leagues under more control of Major League Baseball, and yet they're doing all that and not standardizing a level of treatment or of care for these players across the league. So you have guys who are getting paid throughout the rest of the year, like Cincinnati is doing, like the Mariners are doing, you have guys who aren't getting paid at all, but yet can't go seek unemployment benefits or go anywhere else, like the athletics minor leaguers. It shouldn't be that different. It, the quality of care you receive as a player should not depend on the organization that drafts you. There needs to be something standardized. So I hope that if there's one good thing that comes out of this, it is the movement towards a unionization of the minor leagues or at least some kind of consistent standard of care practices and protections for minor leaguers. Well, and I, I think it would be one thing as well if there was any sense of action on what you might expect to happen, which would be teams seeing like, oh, let's go for a competitive advantage, which is, oh, we're a team that treats our minor leaguers better than other teams. That will make other you know players want to come play for us. Um, but because MLB has taken so much, uh, both MLB has taken so much choice away from players. So, you know, if you're drafted by a team, you have no real ability to go play for another team until seven years later. Um, and, you know, international free agents have a degree of choice, but it's only if they, you know, fit that only matters as if they can be fit into the signing bonus caps. Um, and so then you're you're ultimately ending up with, you know, teams that are able to say, well, none of us want to pay the these players better or pro provide more for these players. So there, there's not really any sort of movement on that. So there, there does need to then be some degree of standardization, I think, as you said. I, I, I am... I, I think relative to things like like the athletics who have been really castigated uh, throughout the throughout the league and and, and deservedly so, so. right yeah so. very yeah. rightfully so um, for not cutting their players but refusing to pay them um, I mean you know it is the type of thing that you look at and you're like surely that's not legal right like you know and who knows but. Um, I, I do think there is a, 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 I would, I would think that it is preferable to be held on, be 
be kept on through the year in in a sense if only because i believe pretty pretty universally minor league players do get health insurance and do get a variety of other like benefits in that sense um and i know there are some teams that are cutting the players and are cutting their pay but are continuing to provide benefits which is something i suppose but it's like that is an important uh distinction there of even if you are uh, i think as you said rightfully joe being kind of strung along for what the future is going to be which is mlb's choice that that's what they want their future to be um you know it is still particularly in a situation where it's hard to get a new job that might actually provide you benefits i mean that is that is something that would make staying on even for a pittance of a salary pretty pretty impactful um i want to go through and i i don't know if there are guys that either you particularly want to talk about on on the list here as you said kate it is a lot of like low level guys a lot of guys from the international league um guys like utah jones and antoine carter mystico who were recent draftees and didn't necessarily get much chance to show who they were um but there are guys who have been in the um, organization since 2014, 2013. I mean, there are not not necessarily Mariners lifers, but like players who have been around for much more. You know, the length of a minor league prospect's career can be really long without still making it to the bigs. And, and it's a, a number of those guys. I mean, guys like Chris Mariscal and, and Nick Zamorelli who who have have had had it come to an end when even they got about as close as you can get. Boy, would I be ticked if I was Zamorelli. Like, <laughs> he works hard. He comes up with all those guys. He's really good friends with, like, um, Dunn and Fraley and all that. He's a part of that community. And I was like... I mean, it, it was difficult to envision a big league role for him as he's pretty limited defensively, probably to first base. Uh, wasn't really hitting enough to hold up that offensive profile. But, you know, here's a guy who could have been in Tacoma and could have been, you know, still within contact of all his buddies and stuff and, and close to the show. And, like, maybe a bunch of things go sideways and he gets a cup of coffee or something. Like, that avenue, that backdoor into the majors that a lot of guys got to take advantage of and say they were major leaguers is shut down. And maybe you think that's a good thing and it's it's going to be for the purity of the game or whatever. But, you know, I, I would feel pretty badly if I were Nick Zamorelli. And also there were, like, all of two guys released from that level um that's obviously a level where they have a lot of guys who they are interested in still looking at or want to hang on to so just i would feel very wounded if i were nick zamorelli i think the thing that surprises me about the zamorelli release is they don't really have a first baseman that he's blocking you know he, he i mean there's not anybody in arkansas that is you know destined for first base at bats maybe i'm completely spacing on someone but in the same kind of goes i mean he's not exactly someone yeah. you're blocking though he's... no i wouldn't say so but um so that's a little bit surprising um 
some of the guys that surprised me, Anderson Mercedes was the one that probably stuck out the most. He's a left-hander who just, he's lit it up. I mean, he's he's older for um, not playing stateside just yet, but he's been lighting it up um, for the last couple of years down at the DSL and Rookie Ball. So that one was a little surprising. And then one that I think is kind of snuck by a lot of people is Sal Biasi got cut. And Sal Biasi was a guy when the Mariners traded David Freitas to the Brewers. He was supposed to be one another one of those relievers that spends a week in Modesto and then just jumps and jumps and we see him in Seattle. So that one was a little bit surprising. Um, a couple others that just just frankly bummed me out. I didn't like seeing catcher uh, Danny Santos get cut. I never like seeing a catcher. Um, that has hit at any level, get let go. He hit almost 300 uh, down in the uh, DSL a year ago. So letting him go is a bit of a bummer. And then, uh, of course, Joey O'Brien was one that, you know, I think a lot of people were really excited about when he got drafted a couple years ago. And he just, it sounds like he just hasn't been able to get the arm right. And um, that's, you know, that's a bit of a shame. Yeah, I, I think uh, who it was Ortwin Piccinella and uh, that Anthony was one Le- I was really sad Lepre about. Lepre were yeah uh, another couple catchers and Lepre I think uh, I actually do not know how to pronounce his last name and I'm sorry, um, but just call him Lou Lep. That's his Le- uh, that's his Instagram handle. <laughs> okay, okay. Well then, that's that's good. I mean, yeah, didn't really necessarily hit that well, but. Uh, no, but also the, the he they sent him they used him as like a fill-in player. They sent him yeah. all over the system, and he never yeah. really had a chance to kind of settle in. Well, and that was a lot of these guys. You know, I Billy Cook uh, and Chris Mariscal both were. Uh, I think I think I called one of them a skeleton keys. Um, Mariscal. Yeah, and I mean. Mariscal played every infield position. He played some outfield. He pitched multiple times. I mean, he, you know, it was never at any point, like, he was always older for the level. He was always, like, okay, well, you know, he's he's hitting okay. And, you know, eventually yeah. struggled this year after really tearing it up. Another guy who deserved a. to have, like, maybe he wouldn't have moved past Tacoma, but he deserved to have his season in Tacoma become a fan favorite, you know, because those are the guys who kind of latch on, right? Is like fans at those levels latch on to the guys who aren't like the hot prospects, like the Kelnicks and the Julios who are going to be blasting through the level. They like the guys who are like, their ascent is going to be slow. They're going to be around. That's the backbone in a lot of ways of minor league baseball. And I, to that end, I was really sad to see Clay Chandler and Stephen Moyers who we're often the only watchable part of that West Virginia power team. I'm s- I'm sorry to those men, but that team could not hit at all for whatever reason. And it was so often the two of them, I think they threw like something like 150 innings plus each. And they just went out there every fifth day, did their jobs. It wasn't spectacular, but like, and they were both older for the level. I think they were both repeating, um, a ball and so again like you don't want to be a performance scout you don't want to just look at these guys had great numbers without considering the fact that yeah they were older for the level but like Moyers especially was lefty these are guys who in different years would have had minor league careers and who knows like 
we were talking about guys being fill-ins and stuff and you think you discount that but that was what Penn Murphy did his first year in the system Penn Murphy would have been cut this year if he had come into the system and instead because he got a year to work he got a year to go home and get better and train in the offseason he got a year to go to Modesto get some great coaching and then he he was like the star of the fall league and played for team USA like he's had now a baseball career and it was made possible because he got a chance to stick around and try to figure things out so this is really it's costing us the Penn Murphys which isn't the most high profile player but you cannot look at Penn Murphy and say that that's not a that's not a valuable player yeah I think that's uh, if you look at it just sort of straight up it's not like oh this guy's gonna be you know, this is this is a big prospect. What are you doing? But like, some of these guys would have been big leaguers at some point, and and that doesn't mean like it's a you know it's a catastrophe or it's a it's a injustice necessarily that they don't get to try and have one or two of them or a few of them become big leaguers. But but it sucks. I mean, I as we we run the article, like you know even if they were long shot dreams they were it, it it sucks to see your people's people's dreams essentially be be cut short here and and um you know i i think everyone everyone who who plays baseball or who who follows baseball has like uh some degree of dreams involved in the sports whether it's playing it whether it's writing about it whether it's you know broadcasting it and for you know or or, or whatever it may be coaching, coaching it. scouting yeah. um and and for most people that dream ends at some point right and or or some stage of that dream ends and 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 you know the life goes on the world doesn't end but it's still sad yeah. It's sad, and it and it it has made. Kate, I think you said you said something about it. just it. It felt like it's been perpetually gray, um, and it's. I mean, it just. It it is hard to see these sort of things happen. Also, I I mean, let's let's be sure we're not closing the book on these guys. I'm not closing the book on these guys. Um, some guys it is a winding path and it's difficult to navigate for a while and then suddenly you get your big break at at you know 27 28 29 i mean look at rich hill i don't think rich hill debuted until like he was 29 years old and then all of a sudden he made a boatload of money because he unlocked something in indie ball and uh, i want to say oakland found it or or boston found it one of the two um, so, I mean, if any of those guys that were let go, and not just from the Mariners side, but anybody from any team, if they're if they're checking this podcast out, um, keep working, <laughs> keep working, you know, John, I think yeah. you severely underscore how many people listen to they might be Mariners. That's true. It's true. We have <laughs> we have <laughs> we have a rich we have a rich array. You know, it's all those it's all those tips on on uh, you know pitch grips and. Uh, you know, sort of how to get your lower half engaged uh, in your swing that we that we drop. 
uh, you know, it really gets the minor leaguers involved, and I appreciate them all. We are uh, we are the skeleton key, is what we are. <laughs> I will say that the Mariners being the Mariners are in a very different position organizationally than they have been previously, especially with their pitchers, where I look at this list and especially I think a lot of the pitchers, I'm like, well, that's a useful pitcher. Like that's a potentially useful pitcher. Um, they have a lot of those guys. Yeah. Michael Koval, if he's healthy, Nate Fisher is one. I mean, he didn't have great numbers, but his FIP, <clears throat> they rocketed him up to uh, West Virginia because they needed an arm there. Um, so his FIP isn't great, but it's not terrible considering, um, you know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of guys out there who I'm like, you squint and you could see a potentially useful, like kind of fringy major leaguer in that. And, um, the Mariners are now at a position where they don't have to keep all of those guys, but there are other teams that are not in that same position and will probably be very... I'm really hoping, like, Stephen Moyers especially gets a chance to catch on somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I was happy to see some of the guys who did make it through the cuts who I was worried about, like Ian McKinney, uh, Darren McKagan, kind of the fringy... a lot of the fringy starters. Yeah. Especially for Seattle, who has made a lot of hay with getting those fringier guys to realize you know the potential they do have um yeah i mean it those you i you lj even lj newsome devin sweet you know this undrafted i mean you you hit the nail on the head of like yeah a lot you know a number of the guys who are helping fill out sort of the depth of the system are guys that could very easily have have been cut this you know this time a year ago um and that edge felt a little more narrow. I mean, it definitely felt narrow. I I know that just talking with one of the prospects in the Dominican Republic, he was like, very glad to have survived the cuts, but nervous and scared and like didn't look at the people who got cut and saw like a huge difference between them and him. So um, it's just, I, I think too, we have to kind of think about the effect on the players who are left and who survived, like, who I hope are feeling very motivated, like, yay, the organization believes in me, and, um, but also I would imagine there's some degree of, like, survivor's guilt. Yeah. Decidedly. Um, well, do, do either of you have any, anything more you want to add on, on the, the minor leagues? We're heading into a new, a new normal, a new age in baseball. This is, it's, I mean, these are just big changes that are coming to the sport, and it's going to take a couple of years to digest everything. And my hope would be that uh, any of these cities or small towns that are reeling from, you know, possibly losing their affiliation to uh, Major League Baseball, I would just say keep going to the games uh, so long as your team moves over to, to indie ball because. There's a lot of indie ball in Washington, especially in eastern Washington, and the experience is fun as hell. So um, obviously it'll be difficult for those for those teams to stay afloat without the big league stipends that, that come in. Um, but if they do, nothing takes away from that from that team because indie ball is still weird and fun as hell. Well, and I, I mean 
perhaps this is a pipe dream, and but like there are a lot of places that have ballparks, <laughs> you know that that oh hell that, yeah that you know you don't need that initial investment of we have to build a ballpark like Mm-mm. just you know take that take that you know I mean I I live in Cooperstown, New York, which is obviously full of baseball enthusiasm, and and w- at one point had a minor league team, but like every thirty thousand person town has like us a reasonably sized baseball field that either does college summer league or does you know the college in the town itself and like it doesn't have to be incredible but you know you can you can set games up and and have something there if if people are willing to put the put the money in and there's going to be a lot of pretty solid quality baseball players out there Mm -hmm. um and former big leaguers like sorry to interrupt like no former yeah. former big leaguers buy these teams. Um, yeah. Jeff Cirillo, old Mariner, mm-hmm. owns the Walla Walla Suites. If y'all have mm-hmm. never been to a Walla Walla Suites game, they're fun as hell. I know I've said that three times, but baseball is fun as hell, and uh-huh. go watch it where you can because the sport is what's fun. And uh, just because the talent might not be at the level you might be accustomed to or the lure of the affiliation doesn't take anything away from the sport. It's uh, John Ryan, right? The former former Seahawks punter who owns the Portland Pickles as well. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, um, yeah, or co-owns, but yeah, it's uh, it's a great thing, and 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 I, you know, so optimistic. But that is a potential silver lining. Is you know, it doesn't just have to be MLB, because um, man really fuck mlb for a lot of things they're doing well i mean (laughs) no i mean it they're they've been slow to come to any kind of conversation about race and uh what's happening right now in the country they really sat on their hands for a long time now we have a lot of team issued statements coming out but well and, and even before that you know i mean the you know the issues with getting getting a season that could actually make sense going cutting them i mean just right thing the, after thing after the thing. we'll be happy to walk away i mean just yeah. yes it's been it's been a just a long series of bad looks for mlb this this off season slash yeah. shutdown period and yeah i know it's a, it's a super we're not gonna pull punches it is a super bump the state of affairs is super bummer right now Mm-hmm. But we have to maintain hope. We have to hold out hope for the future, and that's why talking about the draft is so much fun. Yes, Kate, uh, just a, a big old gold star on the uh, on, uh, on, sti- the on your sticker sheet. I for took the, gold the at the Segway Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was the year that they like banned West Germany, so you know the results were a little. <laughs> um, a little. So we're gonna we're gonna. Uh, take a quick break and then we'll be back in the second half here to talk about the draft. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right. So we're going to focus on the non-first picks uh, of the uh, 2020 draft here. Uh, for the majority of this section, since we spent a lot of time talking about uh, who Seattle might be taking at number six. But we are going to start uh, just with a quick little discussion on uh, Emerson Hancock, right-handed pitcher uh, out of Georgia, and uh, Max Meyer, right-handed pitcher out of Minnesota. Uh, because these are a couple guys who have been thrown around, uh, discussed as people who the Mariners are looking at heavily uh, and who could very plausibly be there for the Mariners at number six. Uh, We talked a lot about Nick Gonzalez as well. Um, But Hancock uh, is an interesting one who I think we haven't touched on as much. Um, So uh, Joe or, or Kate, could either of you just give me a quick sort of rundown on uh hancock versus meyer uh in 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 terms of a scouting report and what what would make these guys top five top six picks yeah with with emerson hancock he is built exactly like a prototypical traditional ace is built he's six foot four he's 225 pounds he's athletic and he's got four above average pitches. Um, the fastball is 95 to 96. It, it Sometimes it's 94 to 96. It, it's got great tail, great uh, sink to it. This year, the pitch uh, it lost a little bit of command. He was finding middle-middle too often with it instead of uh, falling away into right-handers' uh, you know, ankles. So that's something to watch for. Um, it's, a, it's an above-average slider. It's a plus changeup may be better, uh, and he mixes in a, uh, a cutter and a curveball as well. Um, there's been some things thrown around about Hancock's health. I've asked a handful of people, maybe four or five people, what that's all about. Um, I don't know where its origin comes from. He His velo wasn't down uh, this year, even though he was hit a little bit harder. Um, his command took a slight dip, but... Um, I, I really don't know where those reports are coming from. Um, he has, according to people connected to Hancock, he's done a physical and, and reported the findings to all 30 teams. Uh, teams haven't been able to give him a physical, so they do have that independent um, you know, medical on him for what it's worth. So I think uh, with Hancock, it's really easy. It's really easy to envision a one or a two in a rotation just because he looks the part and um, the delivery is clean and fluid. So I wouldn't worry about uh, about his health long term. As far as Meyer goes, he's a little bit more of a nuance uh, in baseball, if you will, uh, untraditional. But he's going to have you know your seventy, maybe eighty fastball that's ninety seven to ninety nine. Um, it's firm, it's got run, it sneaks up on batters as hard as that is to believe. 
uh, and he couples that with a 70 slider that is every bit of the slider that you remember from Edwin Diaz. Um, and he's, he's also got a change up as well for a kid. That's like six feet tall. Uh, there's not a ton of violence in his delivery. Uh, he's able to, you know, repeat his motion and, and get easy velo for the most part, not a lot of head knock. Um, so I think what you're really doing is you're deciding what camp you fall into as far as what you want your pitcher to look like. Do you believe in, uh, you know, the Tim Lincecum, Sonny Gray, Marcus Stroman build and think it can last and it has lasted for all of those guys? Or uh, do you like the safety of, you know, a hundred years of what a starting pitcher should look like? So that's kind of the, the rundown on those two dudes. Uh, I I think it's so interesting uh, for Hancock specifically because when we, we've got these sorts of uh, data streams, as it were, that we would not have had, not, not to say nothing of like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, like five years ago, we would not have had people saying, oh, well, he's got a low spin four seam fastball that makes it perform kind of like a sinker sort of like Justice Sheffield's and so people are concerned that because of that it's not going to be as good of a you know it's going to play down uh, as a you know as a four seamer despite his velocity and that it has run you know that that it you know those sorts of things I think are really interesting that we have means to quantify them Um, but because Hancock has been sliding a bit, um, you know, if he's at number six there for the Mariners, um, whether that means Meyer has gone ahead or Zach Veen and Nick Gonzalez have gone ahead, does that, does Hancock fit uh, for, for you guys as, oh yeah, don't worry about it. Take Emerson Hancock. Uh, you know, put this guy who looks the part, who has d- performed very well in the SEC, um, and has you know multiple out pitches, uh, and, and and don't sweat it. Even even if it's yes. you know yes, take yes. Emerson Hancock. <laughs> I, I can't even believe that this is a conversation. Like I well, cannot... I wanted I wanted to put I no, 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 no. I I appreciate no. I just mean like from writing. Oh, up just his... certainly. He was the very first draft profile I wrote up, I think, uh, from way back. No, it was Torkelson and Martin and then Hancock. But, I mean, it was just – I remember writing that up and being like, well, this would be nice, but there's absolutely no prayer of ever getting him. And I don't know why he's sliding. I don't – unless there is something with the medicals that isn't public knowledge. I think also, like – Teams do a lot of subterfuge at about this point in the draft, and I think they intentionally leak bad information, which is why I'm always um, I'm always a little wary about like, oh, we hear from sources, blah blah blah. Like, I I if you're in an MLB organization, you have absolutely no reason to be leaking anything because you don't want your competitors to get a, a leg up on you you don't want other people to know what you're doing so I think the best information we have is seeing what scouts from what teams turn up regularly at what players events and unfortunately we haven't had any of those so 
this year more than anything, I'm I'm disregarding a lot of that. I'm thinking about like people sat on Mike Trout and deliberately didn't say that they had anything on him um, because everyone saw this. Everyone who saw Trout knew what Trout was and. It was just a question of where people thought they were going to be able to get him, and the Angels played that game the best out of everyone, uh, which is a lesson. If you I see think, a Mike Trout, take the Mike Trout. I think the biggest piece of information that we can use right now in terms of forecasting the draft, and I know I'm certainly guilty of it, is uh, talking with the player, talking with their s- scouts that have, have talked to them, and kind of getting a read for who is talking to this player the most because with us being in quarantine there's not team workouts that are taking place and you know scouts aren't at their schools talking to them it's largely you know who's who's zoom calling with these guys on a regular basis who is who's talking financials with these guys on a regular basis and um you're right you do have to sift through uh, you know, sift through the bullshit for lack of a better word, because there's a lot of it out there. Um, but this is going to be a draft that's been, it's been different than anything we've ever run into. Um, you know, a lot of people that try and mock these things are probably going to get a fraction correct of what they usually do. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, I've seen, I've seen mocks just in the last 48 hours that have Austin Martin slipping to number four or five. What? It, I'm telling you, like, it could be weird. Asa Lacey going number two to Baltimore, and then what? Uh, Miami going with, or Nick Gonzalez going to Baltimore, and Asa Lacey going to Miami with then Veen, Hancock, and uh, Austin Martin to go four, five, Bizarre. six. So, so that's my point, though. Like, you'd never, you do not know what's going to happen in this draft, and there's going to be some, some stunners that just drop everyone's jaws. Um, Again, as far as why Hancock is falling, I don't know. There could be some subterfuge in there, but he doesn't look all that much different to me than Casey Mize did two years ago. No, I um, agree. I mean, when it's not a true I saw, splitter, but when I saw Hancock pitch a few times um, just before the season got shut down, he's. A, I think he doesn't come out of the the times that I saw him. He didn't come out of the gate like absolutely dominating. Like it took him a little while to get his footing under him, and I wonder how much that affects things. That he just he didn't come out of the gates just you know bl- guns a blazing, but he always found his stride partway through, and just his track record, the SEC competition, just the way he looks on the mound. He was just the best player on the field by so much. He was so dominant. I And it's been a long time since I've seen a pitcher who's... Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. Like, similar to Casey Mize, where you just see him go out there and it was just... You pray a little for the people who have to face him because you're like, that is unfair. That's a grown-ass man that they're these poor college hitters are having to go out and contend with. And I mean, that's, that's very much the feeling I get off of Hancock. I would be delighted to have him. Yeah, I mean, he's got the track record all, all the way back when he was a junior in high school. He All he's done is dominate for five years. And did he have a speed bump this year? Sure. Uh, but if you're going to play that card, like Max Meyer was largely a, a relief pitcher up until this year. So um, 
everyone has their warts. Uh, now, if there truly is something in regards to Emerson's health, that we don't know about, then that's an entirely different story, uh, of course. But when the sixth pick comes up, if Seattle has the choice between Emerson Hancock or Max Meyer or Nick Gonzalez or any of those three, if any of those three are on the board, they're going to be in a really good position. I think the worst case scenario would be, and I don't mean this as a slight to Zach Veen, um, the worst case would be Torkelson, Martin, Gonzalez, Meyer and Hancock all go off the board in the first five, or I guess that would leave Lacey, wouldn't it? Yeah. So Seattle's set. I mean, they're going to have a premier talent to select from in the yeah. top six. It's it's a good situation, right? I, I'm, you know, and we, one of the things we don't know too is like how each of these guys, like, do they want to come to Seattle? What are their numbers like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just think of that picture of Emerson Hancock. John <laughs> they mocked me where uh-huh. for his his roundup of some of the latest mock drafts and he just like that's a kid who is georgia born like went to has not maybe left the state of georgia very much and you want to pick him up and move him cross country and you know totally out of his comfort zone that's the one of those intangibles things like how is he going to react to that? Does do do they want to go wherever it is they're drafted, or do some of them have some strong feelings about staying, kind of semi-local? Which I'm sorry, if you're getting drafted by Seattle, you you're not going to be unless it's a California kid. Like you're just not. So uh, that takes a certain fortitude too. You're probably going to be our affiliates are very far from the east, especially if we lose West Virginia. You're going to be far from your family, your friends, your girlfriend. Um, hey, Arkansas how do guys is right down the road. Yeah, uh, Arkansas, Kit, I guess. Kit's, uh, Kit's giving Joe the segue that he wants, but we're <laughs> because we're going to talk about the, the later picks, I'm not going to let you <laughs> turn this into a, into a Mick Abel discussion, which Come I know now. you do. <laughs> we're so close, John. Um, let me be clear. If Abel does get selected by Seattle, I... I would be thrilled, and I know I'm the only one in that camp, at least in this room. I would be thrilled. It's not it, like if they were picking at eight, even then that would be just. It, it's just that there's so there's. I mean, as you you just put it, like there's so every pl- sort of possible uh, permutation of it gives them a choice between probably two or three guys who I think. Would I'd be thrilled with, I, mm-hmm. and I would I, I wouldn't have reservations about, um, you know. I I mean not like oh this is a perfect prospect, but just like oh this pick makes sense. You know, yeah, I, that's fair. I think yeah, if, as if, nuts I, as I am for Robert Hassel, and almost wish that we were picking at like ten so that you could justify that selection. Like I recognize he does not belong in the same tier to be talked about as maybe gonzalez and hancock and all of them i guess although i do think he's he's should be a back end of the top 10 my my only thing would be if the choice is between if if we're just selecting between mick abel and nick gonzalez and the former allows you three hundred thousand dollars in savings or four hundred thousand dollars in savings for pick 43 and 64 um I would I would select Mick Abel over Nick Gonzalez, and I think this organization needs Nick Gonzalez more than anything. So, um, 
I don't know. We'll see. There's there's a lot of ways to win here. I, I think that's an interesting point. And and let's let's go into some of those guys who might be there at 43, um, who who would make a lot of sense. Uh, and if you haven't listened to it, a lot of the guys that we're going to be sort of touching on here, we don't need to go into immense depth on them, but we did talk um, about a lot of these guys in our mock draft episode, uh, which. I recommend going back and listening to mostly because it was fun for us, uh, but also I think it was it was helpful and and um, revealing on on a lot of these. Uh, but if Seattle takes takes one of the guys who who is going to allow them to save a little bit off of their it's something like five and a half million uh, in in slot value at the number six pick. Um, who who are some guys that you guys think they could target uh, and would would have a chance of being there for for pick number forty three? <clears throat> so at pick forty three, let me let me preface this by saying with the sixth pick, um, just so long as they don't go with Zach Veen, I think Nick Gonzalez or Max Meyer or even Emerson Hancock. I think any one of those players, less so with Hancock, but I think any of those players are going to afford you the opportunity to go under slot slightly. I think you'll save money in any sense if you go with a college pick at number six. Um, Mick Abel included just because he's not expected to go probably in the top nine or ten. So with that, um, I took the tact of pick 43 is where they can decide which way they want to go at 64. If they're going college, um, I'd like to see them go middle infield more than anything because the system is lacking in it and there is a good bunch of uh, college shortstops that are going to fly off the board between pick 30 and you know 45. I think the two that stick out for me are Anthony Servideo out of Ole Miss and Freddie Zamora out of Miami. Um, both are defensive shortstops, which I think... Um, kind of fits the bill for for what Seattle is looking for. Zamora tore his ACL this year, so he's going to fall a little bit in the in the draft. But he was expected to be a you know a top twenty, top twenty five pick before the injury. Um, so I'd go I'd go shortstop at forty three, regardless of if you get Nick Gonzalez at six. Um, the other route that the team can go is they can then splurge on a a high upside prep at 43, which would limit you at 64. But if there's a guy that isn't going to be there at 64, this is where you got to do it. Um, the guy at the very top of my list would be Carson Tucker uh, out of Mountain Point. It's Cole Tucker's little brother. Um, I think he's just tapping into what his professional you know, body is going to look like. Uh, I think he's going to be a better player than his older brother. And... Um, like like I said, he just kind of fits that middle of the infield skill position that uh, that Seattle could go after. And then Dax Fulton is another one. Um, he's a big, hulking, tall lefty. Another guy coming off injury, Tommy John, this last year. Um, he won't be there at 64. So if uh, if Seattle loves Dax Fulton, this would be a great place to get him. Um, and then. Kate, I'm not going to steal anything off of your plate from 43, but uh, I think you and I have a similar name uh, as a pipe dream there, too. You can go ahead and start talking about him. Well, <laughs> I think the one guy that I don't think will be there at 43 is Jordan Walker. 
He's a third baseman out of Decatur High School. He's committed to Duke. Um, he is built like Miguel Sano at third base. He's six foot five. He's two hundred and thirty pounds. He's got seventy grade raw power. He is a lot. He is much more athletic than Miguel way Sano. more athletic. Let's let's be clear. Yeah, he's, maybe he's, maybe he's... Miguel Sano five years ago before he put on the bad weight and things like that. But uh, in Walker, you're looking at a guy that might be an average hitter. He he might be able to post like two sixty uh, batting averages. But if he gets 600 at-bats, he's almost certainly going to run into 30 home runs, maybe 35 home runs a year. Um, he's a true impact big bat at the hot corner, a position of need for Seattle. Uh, but as you can see, the theme for me in uh, in pick 43 is to get someone on the dirt because the team needs it. Yeah, I don't think uh, Walker is going to be there, but there are signability questions. He has a really strong commitment to mm -hmm. uh, Duke. Um, his parents are both highly educated. He's a huge character and culture guy, and so I think if if they do at six go with a college, especially somebody who is maybe being picked a little higher than than they might think uh, they would be going. Maybe you have some money to really blow at 43. Um, I do think that that is a pipe dream. But unfortunately, like, jo uh, like Joe, I agree that they've got to get a player on the infield. Like, you don't draft for need, but it's just really rough this year with... It, it's just, it's rough in the system with... Uh, infielders so i would like them to i'm assuming that if gonzalez is there they address that at six um if that's the move i would like them to look at a pitcher at 43 especially because this draft is so rich with them especially collegiates um sorry that's the amazon truck so my hope is that at that they'll take Gonzalez at six and then be able to go with maybe a prep pitcher at 43. There are a few that I like that it would hopefully be on the board. Uh, I really like Alex Santos out of uh, the Bronx. Um, he's a Northeast arm, so cold weather arm, so not like um, somebody that scouts have had a ton of looks at, but he is mid-90s, plus fastball. Um, he's got a curveball. He's got a changeup. So he's got three pitches already, which is what you want at a high school for a safe, for a safer pick in a high school arm. Um, obviously, it's a risky demographic, but I really like the upside there, and I hope they would go with that. If he, not, because I really think that they're going to be heavily college in this draft, which is so boring, but whatever. Um, I would like maybe somebody like, um, maybe if Carmen Majinski falls, which is looking like it might be possible since he's, uh, I don't see him getting a ton of buzz on draft boards. Um, maybe righty Bryce Jarvis out of Duke. Is he Duke? Yeah, he's Duke. He's Duke, yeah. Um, again, just like if they've gone with a college position player, I mean, 
if they've gone with Gonzalez, I would like a pitcher in that spot. Um, if they go safe college pitcher, I want an infielder, but unfortunately this is the part of the draft where this draft is thin on infielders and outside of a few at the top, it's a real donut hole for infielders this year. There are a lot kind of in the top where the Mariner, like the 15 to 30 round numbers where they don't have picks. Um, and then there are a lot kind of in the back, but Nothing in really 43 or 64 where I would really like to get somebody on the dirt who I'm really excited about. I do like Cole Tucker, but uh, it's a little rough. So I think that the best, I mean, the ideal course of action to me would be if Gonzalez does somehow wind up with them. And then hopefully we could open it up a little after that. I think that's, uh, that is, I mean, likeliest is a, is a, <laughs> it's a suspect term to to throw around here, but I I think that's a pretty plausible way to to see it breaking out. Um, if if they do end up with you know Gonzalez or even like Meyer, then then yeah, I do think it would be um, fantastic to see them go for you know any any of those sort of prep guys with with a lot of talent. Um, I I'm partial to uh, Chase Davis who is uh, a Californian uh, prep outfielder. Um, we, we were joking um, before, I believe, Joe said they don't need him, but, God, you, you know, you'd like to have him. What, I believe you said um, they can they can cut cargo and, and just sign another cargo, um, which... Yeah, the uh, swing as- looks exactly like cargo. It's a really yeah. similar profile. Yeah, he's... Um, He's he's got a very uh, very sort of impressive uh, per, essentially you, you know the the quintessential right fielder uh, toolkit um, with just like the lefty swing, good power, um, good bat, um, and an absolute cannon for an arm. Um, you know I I think he would be great. And Seattle does not have a lot of outfield depth in the low minors. Um, and I, I agree wholeheartedly that you don't draft for need, but at the same time, you do want to draft people that you can get the maximum amount of playing time for. And Seattle has a lot of pitchers that they would, you know, be well served getting reps at, at every level. And they don't have a ton of middle infielders. They don't have a ton of infielders in general. They don't have even in the low minors many outfielders that are, uh, you know, Surefire, gotta gotta clear the way for them. So uh, I think you could you could absolutely fit Davis in there. Um, how about at uh, number sixty four? Because uh, I, I think they're um, sixty four and seventy eight uh, sort of blends together. I mean, you know, it's already slicing it fairly thin to go round by round. Uh, so really. Who who might who might make sense? Who are some names to watch out for for you guys um, in the in the comp pick slash third round there? Uh, who 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 jumps out? Before I jump into who makes sense at sixty four, I I wanted to just add one last nugget on Jordan Walker because I think that's a big storyline if Seattle goes that route, and frankly, I think it kind of defines the rest of the draft. Um, that 43rd pick has a slot bonus of 1.7 and 
if they select Jordan Walker at 43, if he somehow falls that far, he's going to be asking upwards of $3 million. So um, you can all but sacrifice you, – you'd be sacrificing two future picks in the draft to acquire Jordan Walker. And I think that's important to note. Uh, if you're in the Jordan Walker camp like Kate and I are um, – just know that you know the last two picks in the draft might be more or less forfeited with with his acquisition but anyways i digress so um at 43 i think uh i think seattle's going to go college in some in some way whether it be a pitcher or a shortstop or something like that so i think 64 is probably where they make their prep splash if i'm just forecasting and guessing uh and there's three guys that stick out for me uh the first one is kobe mayo out of uh Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida. Um, he is, I mean, he looks like the picturesque varsity starting quarterback. He's six foot five, two hundred twenty pounds. Uh, he's shredded. I mean, the guy is just a sublime athlete. Uh, the swing needs work, um, but that being said, it is a swing and a level of physicality and athleticism that, if if you're in the camp like Kate and I and John even, that you want to see Seattle develop a hitter, this is your guy. Uh, this is the the clay that you want to mold. Um, and he's a third baseman, so he fits a need. Um, the other two guys, one of them is Kevin Parada, who is committed to Georgia Tech. He's a catcher. This is another guy that's going to be asking for you know upwards of 2.2, 2.5 million because he's going to the school that created you know Joey Bart and Matt Wieters and just a whole ton of different big league catchers so he knows what he's got in his back pocket um but he looks like he could be a, an above average hitter with above average power and um there's probably a 50 50 shot that he stays behind the plate if he's drafted here if he goes to georgia tech i'd give him a slightly better chance of sticking behind the plate just because they really know what they're doing and then the last one john and i have talked about this guy before on the podcast and that's mason win uh he is a right-handed pitcher slash shortstop out of Mm -hmm. texas i believe and yeah he's awesome man he throws 100 he's got a slider that first of all let me preface he's five foot 11 he throws 100 he's got an 89 mile an hour slider and at shortstop he projects to be a fringe average hitter with average power like a 260 hitter that can run into 15 home runs like that is super fun um, and I just think he'd be a really fun project for the team. Um, in the, you know, case that they go prep Gage Workman, Casey Schmidt, and then Tommy Mace, Tyler Brown, and Nick Frosso would be some, uh, college arms that I'd look at. Uh, I'm going to assume that they merit that this, the draft strategy that I've laid out so far that they take Gonzalez at six. Then they go with a college arm, probably, at 43. 43. Um, So then I have them going prep at 64. 64? I'm getting these numbers all confused. Yes. Um, And I think I like Drew Bowser out of Harvard-Westlake in California. He is going to be really expensive. He's, uh, I think both his parents maybe are Stanford grads. I can't remember exactly. But anyway, super, like, prototypical Southern California kid. Like, his parents might work in the entertainment industry. I think his aunt is, like, Holly Robinson Pete or something like that. 
you know, he's, he's one of those kids. Um, but I really like him. He had a huge weekend at the perfect game, all American classic. Uh, he was won the home run derby was MVP of the game, just really showed out huge, um, which kind of put him on my radar, but he's a big kid. He's six, three and like 200. Um, so there are questions he's listed as a shortstop. There are questions. I think Fangraph says that his body projects to first base, which I strongly disagree with. Um, I think he's definitely got it. I don't think he's got the athleticism to stick at shortstop, but I think he's easily a third baseman. Um, and who knows, might be able to stick it short, but he's really smart at the plate. He has good plate discipline. Um, he can do a lot. He, you see a lot where he, his swing can be a little long. There are things that could be fine tuned in there. Um, but uh, he's got a big baseball IQ, um, lots of tools. I think someone like that, if they could get him at any kind of a reasonable price, just because this draft is pretty thin on infielders. So, and at this point I would like to see somebody with like, I would like to see a prep and I would like to see a prep with some big upside. And, um, Bowser has an interesting enough skill set that I think he's maybe he sticks a short, maybe goes to third, maybe you put him in the outfield. He's got a plus arm. So, um, I like that there. Otherwise, if they want to be boring, you know, take another college <laughs> pitcher, Clayton Beater, maybe, um, who I think might be gone by this point. Um, this is where things kind of open up. It's difficult. You know, mm. one site will have a guy in like the 60s and one will have him in the 80s. So, uh, there are just so many pitchers. So, I guess they could just pick another pitcher here. But <laughs> I would be really sad about it. Yeah, uh, I, I think especially if they go, um, you know, Gonzalez pitcher or Hancock prep uh, or Meyer prep, um, you know, so, sort of those those permutations feel likeliest. Who knows? Maybe they double up on it. Um, uh, at sixty four, I I think there's a lot of interesting guys, um, but I will confess that this this is where I would love to see them. Um, especially if they, you know, are going college twice at the top. There's just a lot of prep guys who, who could be really interesting that they could go for. Um, one, one that I've got, uh, that I, that I really like is, uh, Yoandi Morales, uh, who is a Miami area high schooler. Um, he is, uh, he's got big league bloodlines as they say. Um, but he's just he's six four, um, you know. He's got the the sort of the frame that you would see, think a guy would grow into, uh, as as scouts love to say. Um, but already has really good bat speed. Um, I I think he's got um, good instincts and, and he moves nicely uh, defensively. Uh, he could be a shortstop. He's very big. Uh, I mean, not not outlandishly large, but you know, six four is usually pushing it. Um, you know, every once in a while, you'll have a Carlos Correa or an O'Neill Cruz, but um, you know, they they sort of guys usually have to prove it and and keep continuing to prove it to stick it there. But even if he's a third baseman, I think he's got certainly the arm for it and and the the 
tools to make you think uh, that he would be there uh, with the bat eventually as well. Um, Colt Keith, another guy who has a, a similar sort of um, huge frame, uh, kid from uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, um, and and similarly has uh, good power at the plate that he's shown. Uh, he's got a sort of fun leg kick that, that I am a fan of. Um, but I, I think that he, uh, I think he's a more surefire bet to be a third baseman. He's got a little bit less fluidity in his motion, uh, in the field, but still got plenty of potential to, to be a big masher, uh, over at third base. Um, and, and as you guys sort of listed, I think there is a good amount of sort of college pitching that they can pop in for at really just about any point uh, in here, uh, which is one of the nice things about this draft is that it's really easy to take a number of routes and and pop in at your moment for, for you know, to splash for the guy you want at, at a certain stage um, without having to, you know, because I – I love Jordan Walker, you know, as, as you said, Joe and Kate, as, as you sort of expanded on, like he is a really fascinating prospect, but there are so many guys who have a ton of talent in here that I, I think it is a draft that you want to try and get something at every with, from every pick. You don't necessarily want to uh, do what the Mets did last year for, for lack of a, you know, for for frame of reference, as it were, where they went Brett Beatty uh, and Matthew Allen, sort of two of the top prospects in the draft, and then eight, you know, guys who were sure to sign for very little uh, so that they could afford the rest. I think this is a draft worth getting uh, legitimate prospects for, for all six picks. Yeah, I agree. I wonder if Jordan Walker will maybe not go get drafted just because it's just too much money that it's the number that he's going to want is going to and you know, he's not a pitcher or anything. It's not like he's going to go damage his arm and his draft stock. Um and, so you know, I, 3 years from now it could very well be a I mean, it's probably going to be flush drafts for the next several years, no matter what, just because yeah. this is right. shortened and enough yeah. guys are going to go to college. But still. I think you're right, though. Like, you want to maximize. You have so few picks, you have to maximize every single one of them. I think if, if Jordan Walker makes it to pick 34 or 33, um, I, I would just as much assume he's not going to get picked. Because at that point, you're asking for more than three quarters of a million dollars over slot and it's not like you have bonuses for 25 rounds that you can like the Mets did last year it's just it won't happen you're not gonna like in the past you're not gonna see Heston Kierstad selected late in the draft as a as a you know hello we're the Seattle Mariners get to know us <laughs> yeah come come take BP and then don't sign. right if you're a prep uh, and you're not selected in the first you know 50 picks you know you can tune off the television. It's just probably not going to happen. Yeah. Um, at 78, then, um, you know, again, it's it's a lot of sort of similar similar guys. But uh, I am going to say a, a guy that I would be really excited to see them go for. And, and I am not a huge proponent of 
I, I love high school position players. Pretty pretty out on high school pitchers, but uh, I have watched a lot of Markevian Hentz video, uh, or uh, the amount of Markevian Hentz video that exists, which is to say, mm, not a ton, because he's from <laughs> uh, he's a six one kid from Arkansas uh, in uh, Pine Bluff, which isn't tiny, but um, I I think he is very impressive. He he will be under eighteen. Um, and I, I don't quite know how that breaks down, but I think it, you know, it, it does make it particularly easy for him to go to college and, and go fill out his commitment to Arkansas, uh, where he, because I believe that would line up for him being a draft eligible sophomore, but mm-hmm. um, he is, uh, he has a just very easy, um, low to mid nineties motion, um, or fastball rather, um, in, in a very easy motion, really great, uh, breaking ball that he seems to hide a bit while it, uh, while it comes out. Um, I, I mean, at, you know, at this stage, it's very much dependent on what comes before it, but, uh, he is, he is someone that I, I think that Seattle could really get a steal on there. Uh, who who are some guys that that you might want to see at at seventy eight? I first of all, I love the uh, the, the I think that he goes by Tink Tink Hens. He does, yes. Tink yeah, Hens, Tink Hens. Is, is his uh, um, nickname. Love that for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. he is. He's a fun. He's a fun character. Um, mm-hmm. He he's getting a lot of attention, so I think it'd be it'd be super cool if he fell this far, but. I don't know. I I almost get the yeah. feeling someone's gonna jump up and and pick him super early. Um, it's, but we'll it's, see. It, I believe Baseball America has him in like the one twenties, but uh, I, I think he is a, a guy who. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, Fangraphs. Think, it looks like they have him at seventy six. So it could. Who knows? But it it very easily could set up for Seattle, who has a bigger bigger draft pool than most. Yeah, and he's not even he's not like an old seventeen. I I don't think he turns eighteen until December. So he's a re he might be the youngest one in the draft, um, or close to it. So mm-hmm. uh yeah, he's gonna be draft eligible as a twenty barely a twenty year old in twenty twenty three. So mm-hmm. he'll be a fun one to watch. But uh for me at seventy eight, I would just so much assume that they go college at this point. I would mm-hmm. I would make the assumption that they made their their prep splash by now. Um, one of the things that I'd like to see the team do is acquire a catcher in this in this draft because I think while Cal Raleigh is um, someone that I think a lot of us believe in, um, and you know Jake Anchia is certainly not someone that anybody's given up on, I think the team needs um, another catcher to begin developing because you can never have enough of them, and it always does seem like the team is lacking in a. Uh, you know, a catcher that they can call up from double-A AA or triple-A. So Casey Opitz out of uh, Arkansas is someone that I've tabbed for a while. He's a contact-oriented uh, left-handed hitting catcher out of Arkansas. He uh, is a, an above-average defender, and I really think he fits well as a big league, uh, a surefire big leaguer that's probably going to platoon. Um, some other names that I that I took down here, I think Kevin Abel out of Oregon State um, is a fun name just because he's got Northwest roots. And um, while Oregon State hasn't had a ton of success with sending pitchers to 
you know, the big leagues and having them succeed. Um, he's got a long track record of success uh, at Oregon State, and he missed this year with uh, with an injury. So um, you might be getting like a second round value here in the third round. And then uh, Seth Lonsway and Nick Swinney. Lonsway's out of Ohio State. There are two lefties that um, both project as maybe fringe starters um, or they'll move into the bullpen. Both have command issues, but um, they're lefties that you know throw 93 to 94. Um, they've got uh, good breaking balls, and so they interest me. And then if uh, for some reason by this point, you know, three picks in, they haven't gone after a middle infielder. I think uh, Jimmy Lewanke out of... I believe Glowanki's out of Georgia Tech uh, is a bat first middle infielder who might have to move over to second base, but uh, he projects to have at least an average uh, an average hit tool and maybe fringe average to average power. So he's a fun profile to dream on. I feel like at this point, in the way that I have set things up, um, I have what I feel like most likely happening is three straight college picks. Because uh, I think Nick Gonzalez, and then I just don't think Jordan Walker is going to be around. Um, so I think maybe they go with a college pitcher with that 43rd pick. So, and then I think that there's still going to be so many college pitchers on the board. This is where I have them picking a prep. And I think maybe not one of, so one of the things that I think is useful to kind of talk to the listeners about is like, what kinds of prospects, what what do you expect to see at each of these numbers? So, like, obviously at six, we talked about how it's a shame we can't draft all these guys, but there there is a certain profile that you want to get with a almost top five pick. Um, there are things you expect. Like, if it's a pitcher, you expect frontline a starter potential. Um, if it's a defender or a position player, you want somebody who's pretty tooled up with a an ability to hit in the big leagues right um your expectations at 43 are, again like this is somebody who's going to be a major league quality starter um by the time you get to 64 and 78 i feel like you're starting to look at guys who have some warts like either they're not they're solid but not spectacular collegians or they're high school guys who have some questions right um so in my draft idea, I have them... I'm sorry, the garbage truck is here. <laughs> That's... I'm trying not oh, to take no. that as like a... Foreshadowing a, again. <laughs> I know, I'm trying not to take that as a, um, a referendum on what I'm about to say. Sorry, John. I say, you just, I say we keep it and let him have it. What do you got? I feel really sad that uh, I don't want to do this to Petey Halpin, though. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the poor kid Uh. has spent his whole time being overshadowed by Pete Crow Armstrong, and now he's gonna get a now he's gonna get a trash truck. I mean, that's not fair. I hope, for the sake of the organization, we take Petey Halpin and we don him a nickname. Yeah. I hope he's trash. Dump, dump truck helping. All right, all right. It is dump gone. truck helping. Oh all 160 God. pounds of dump <laughs> truck helping. Dump truck helping. <laughs> <laughs> all right. 
So I think it's entirely possible that with the strength of college pitching here, they could go college, 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 and still not have picked a prep by uh, 78. And as you said, like it's it will be more and more challenging to sign guys as they go on. But if you have some money, you can throw it. Petey Halpin, uh, who is from Manhattan Beach, California, because of course he is, um, been overshadowed a little by the other Pete outfielder, prep outfielder, that is Pete Grow Armstrong, but Halpin is, I, my kind, he's my kind of guy. He's a well-rounded, uh, toolsy, short line drive swing, makes contact, um, He's got some flaws, like his arm is, you know, not fantastic, um, and there's not a ton of power in the profile, but I think he's he's a really exciting project. I want them to come out of this draft with at least one project, so I would like that, or like maybe a prep pitcher, the one I'm thinking of is Ben Hernandez, um, who is a cold weather guy, again, so I'm obviously showing that I have sort of a preference for cold weather guys, cold weather prep pitchers. Uh, he's from the Chicago area, and he has the best changeup in the draft, uh, which to me, I always like a pitcher, who, especially a prep pitcher who has a changeup, a really good changeup, because to me that means you're a student of pitching. Like, you're not just out there flinging fastballs trying to light up the radar gun, but really thinking about how to pitch. So, um, obviously he's got like nineties touch 95 on the fastball. He's got that with the changeup. Again, I think that that's kind of a safe, a, a, a let prep pitchers. We know John doesn't like, but there it's a less risky pick when you look at a guy who already has two plus pitches. So something, something fun for me, please here. If it's been all college straight up so far, but I have the feeling it won't be, and it will be yet another college pitch here because I never get what I want. <laughs> I, so I, I would be, I would be floored. I will say if I don't think they go six college guys, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe that's just how it breaks down on their board, whatever. But I think that a big part of trading for the comp pick right, was sure, in sure. aid of, more we, draft pool. Exactly. Like Seattle yeah. has not had, because they've been sort of in the middle of the pack in terms of results, they haven't gotten the top level picks. And because they've been in the middle of the pack in terms of results, they haven't gotten, you know, I think like 2013 or 2012 or something was the last time that they got like a comp pick for being like. Bad and sad and small. Bad and sad and, and small, exactly. Like yeah. they, there's some al- you know algorithm where it's like the bottom ten teams by yeah, payroll. Yeah, that TV deal is really screwing them over. Yeah, I mean, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, and so I and I I don't remember how. I don't even know if it's public knowledge how that is calculated. But essentially, like certain teams will basically always get comp picks because they have tiny or smaller markets, and Seattle is right. not a small market. It's not a huge market whatevs but um I, I do think it would be i will be very surprised if they don't get something uh in in from the prep group because there are just enough guys there 
uh, to to make it. You're right. I'm just so na- Well, I mean, it dra- has been. Always it the draft been. is about me wanting things to happen and them not. The closest <laughs> I've ever gotten was when they drafted Isaiah Campbell last year, and that he. I love Isaiah Campbell. He's not exactly the most exciting thing ever. Yeah. Uh, um, I think that was the one time there was a player on my personal board who made it to mm-hmm. to the Mariners organization. And then I guess I have to say Kelnick. Like, sure. That, Just, you know, the came, roundabout. <laughs> came a roundabout way. But remember, John, when we were like, they can't possibly take another college arm here. Oh, and yeah. then what was it? It was another college arm it every time. Nine of the 11 uh, picks in the first uh, first end round of in, in last year's uh, draft, I believe. So, so. Just know I yeah. kept plugging prep names in throughout the whole yeah. this whole exercise. Yeah, there's a reason that Kate continuously gives me grief for saying oh well what about this preposition my prospect she's you don't learn uh, i don't learn <laughs> I, I refuse to i like to learn and then decide not it's, to decide so, to go against what i've learned. it's so frustrating because john will be like look at this guy look at this stuff and he drops like this great clip and has me salivating over this guy and then obviously they don't pick him and I know they won't pick him, but I've allowed John to fool me. And that's what I'm really angry about. That's true. Who did I hurt? Only, only myself and mostly and Kate, me. mostly Kate actually. <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see about that. Uh, okay. One Oh seven. Um, you know, again, pushing further back and you know, this is really, I mean, we, we said it at the top, like, the way that the draft breaks out in the in a normal year is is tricky. What teams are are gonna do at any stretch here is is anyone's guess. Um, in, in terms of maybe this is a reasonable projection for what teams' boards look like, but what they actually get to draft based on what ownership says you're, they're allowed to spend, that is a complete guess. But. Um, Joe mentioned Jimmy Legolwenki, who I, I think is a, a great fit for, for either spot. Um, I really actually like Tyler Keenan, uh, who's huge third baseman um, out of uh, Ole Miss. Um, moves pretty athletically for his size. He's, he's 6'4". Um, I think he's 250, 260, something like that. Oh, yeah. Um, but, like, would be one of the bigger players. Uh, like infielders to to see the, not playing first base, but he has the arm to handle third. Um, definitely does not have much in the way of like foot speed, but he 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 moves fluidly, and I think there's there's at least a chance that he can handle third. Uh, and and he has hit quite well uh, in, in one of the tougher, uh, you know, probably the toughest conference in in college baseball um and and i think he would immediately be a very very impressive uh position playing uh option there for seattle uh, in in their loam who you, who they could put in the low minors and could could very easily move quickly uh, yeah i really like keenan he's a he's a big big bodied dude um yeah he's all of 250 i i do wonder if he can stay at third base um but if you i mean if you move him over to first base that's fine the only thing that I've noticed on Keenan that uh, kind of leaves me questioning is he doesn't tap into the power that you'd expect from another dump truck player. <laughs> he 
So I I don't know. I'd I'd like to see some more power output from that body, but um so Give him the old Evan White treatment. Yeah, there you go. Um so at 107, yeah, this is where I mean, at this point, you're just kind of guessing. There's some names that I really like uh, for Seattle. A couple of outfielders that stick out for me are Jesse Franklin, who's a local boy. Um, He is at the University of Michigan. He's really struggled with injuries over the last year, both in the Cape Cod League, and um, he missed all of this season, I think. Uh, He's a corner outfielder. He doesn't do anything particularly um, loud, but... He is just a solid all-around player. Um, very, uh, he gets very high marks for um, his intelligence and his instincts on the baseball field. So I think that'd be a, a fun player to bring back. And then Parker Chavers out of Coastal Carolina. He's going to be a guy that sticks in center field um, with an above-average hit tool. So the catcher that I want to talk about is Kale Emshoff. And the reason I like him is I think he kind of fits what Seattle has gone for in college catchers over the past few drafts. And that is a guy that receives the ball well and has just prodigious college power. Um, He probably has, if not the biggest power bat at the position in the draft, uh, certainly top two or three. Um, It's a big, strong right-handed cut uh, that does project to, to stay at the position. So he'd be a fun pick. And then just a couple of pitchers. Uh, Jack Leftwich out of Florida is a kid that has been all yeah. over. Yeah, he's been all over all over draft radars and scouts radars. I feel like for four I remember years. him from his high school draft. Yep, he was one of the better players uh, in the country, and he had signability concerns as most Florida Gator commits do. Um, ironically, Kobe Mayo is is a Florida commit, but. Hey, I, they, I think they got Sam Carlson out of his commitment. There you go. Someone else. There you go. There you go. There's another one. But no, I, I just think guys that attend the University of Florida generally develop really well as far as starting pitchers go. He's big. He's tall. He's got three above average pitches. Um, he just doesn't have the biggest track record of um, success uh, just yet. And then the other guy is Taylor Dollard, who is a big uh, right-handed pitcher, 94 to 98, um, more comfortably 93 to 96. And he's got a, an above-average slider and a developing uh, changeup, but he's the he's the type of you know physique that you kind of dream on out of college, and you draft him, and you hope you turn him into Shane Bieber. So, um, yeah, that would be a few guys that I would target in this range. Uh, here is where the, for me, the middle infield starts to pick up again and look more interesting. Although again, these are guys who have some degree of warts. Um, but as far as like college guys who maybe have a safer floor of sticking at the position, there are a couple names I like at this position. One is Xavier Warren out of central Michigan. Um, he is a switch hitter, but I feel like he would maybe be more successful if they stuck to one side. Um, not huge power guy, more of a gap to gap one. Um, but maybe on a big league training regimen, there's the possibility to turn some of those gappers into putting them over the, uh, the fence He's got good plate discipline. Um, 
there are questions about whether or not he's going to stick it short. I think you give him a little dose of Perry Hill and, uh, and things could be really exciting. Hey, and Kate, the other guy, like, really quick. A, oh, go ahead. Really quick. You know, he's, he's Austin Nola in a can, right? You know, he's Austin, Xavier Austin Warren. Nolan. Okay. Xavier Warren <laughs> played like, he got like 12 starts at catcher last year. Yeah. I mean, that's, I would like to, uh, I wonder if, too, maybe part of the questions about his defensive home are the fact that he didn't really have one. So sometimes I think it's better just leave a guy somewhere and, and let him learn. Um, but, I mean, that shows to me a degree of athleticism and uh, and versatility that we like in our prospects. Uh, the other guy that I like is shortstop Hayden Cantrell from Louisiana Lafayette, which I've never even heard of. Like, what? what is Louisiana Lafayette? Uh, the Ragin' Cajuns. The Ragin' Cajuns. All right. Well, he is another switch hitter. Why is everybody a switch hitter now? Um, again, like, just focus on one side, my buddy. Um he is an OBP machine, which I love. Uh, I love a guy who will take a walk, who will just get on base however he can, top of the order hitter, um, and should, I mean, again, he's not going to blow you away with any of his tools, but should be able to stick at shortstop, should be able to hit relatively well, um, and, you know, maybe with some big league coaching can and size and conditioning can uh can turn into an everyday major leaguer so he's an interesting one uh well let's let's finish it out at 137 here i know this has been a longer episode for folks thanks for for bearing with us on it but uh next week's draft week uh so we we wanted to get some names out there for you guys to, to these are my the three on. favorite names that i picked too so i think things get really really Perfect. interesting well, at the back well, of the draft well, so. hit us with them then kate okay i will hit you with them um i will go with maybe the high floor one first left-handed pitcher mitchell parker uh, he's currently at a JC. I think it's San Jacinto JC. Let me double check. Where are you? Where are you, my little buddy? Um, yes, anyway. San Jacinto. Uh, look at that memory like a steel trap. <laughs> um, so he is currently at a junior college, which makes him eligible this year. He has a Kentucky commitment. He might want to go through with that, but I think given kind of the the state of things right now would be wise, especially if he got drafted in the first, I mean, the only five, but if he got drafted, I think he, he should probably go to a team. Um, he's a lefty. He's got a funky delivery. Um, he is a strikeout machine. He's 6'4", so 6'4 and lefty. I'm already intrigued. Uh, throws with a lot of downhill playing, funky delivery, hard for batters to pick up. He's 89 to 93 right now, but again, maybe you throw him in a, a pro conditioning room. Maybe you can get a little bit more out of that. Uh, he's got a big breaking curveball. So there's a reliever floor, at least there. Um, he's also got a splitter that he uses kind of like a, um, as a third pitch. So, Maybe looking at a reliever there, but the guy is just, he's just struck everyone out. He struck everyone out in high school. He's struck everyone out in junior college. Uh, if he goes to, if he doesn't get picked and goes to Kentucky, I assume you'll continue to strike everyone else out. 
um, sort of Sam De- lefty Sam Delaplane vibes off of him, um, with maybe a slightly higher upside, possible starter upside. So exciting. I like him. Um, I also like outfielder Mario Zabala. This is back to the prep ranks. He is from Puerto Rico. Um, saw him at perfect game. He is enormous. I mean, he's huge. He's not that physically tall. He's only like 6'2", but his shoulders, it looks like he has a Mack truck strapped to each shoulder. Like, (laughs) he's just the broadest human. Uh, His upper body is like a triangle. Just, (laughs) he is. Um, And he's just, oh my God, he's so, I know we're not supposed to look at the good face, but he has the good face. Like, he loves playing baseball. He plays with a ton of joy, energy. Reminds me of Julio. Um, and he likes to be fast, even though he's a bigger guy. So he lo- he stole two bases in the perfect game. Uh, and then there was a throwing error. So he made it home. He's hit an inf- inside the park home run before. Uh, he's just, you look at him and you're like, that's a monster of a man. But uh, he really can turn it on in the base pass. So he's just tools, 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 tools. He's got huge potential power in the bat. Um, he swings to looking to do damage, but he, he swings and misses a ton. Like, he strikes out a lot. Um, he will get overly excited and throw the ball too far and overthrow his target. Like, he's just raw. So there's a ton to work with there. I would love to see, because, I mean, the potential is huge. So is the risk. I mean, you could wind up with um, sort of Latino Gareth Morgan um, as a oh, worst case scenario. No. I know. I'm really sorry Why? to have said that, but he. he <laughs> I mean, he look. He looks like that. You know, he wants to hit the ball 500 feet, but obviously, it's a different group developing people now. And if you can tap into those raw skills, I think that is a very, very fun player. Um, and then the other one I want to bring up is Kyle Russell, who's a, a prep shortstop who is from our own neck of the woods. He's the best prep player in Western Washington. And Ryan Divish has a really nice article in the Times uh, about him and, and his family. And, uh, you know, he's he's not only kind of a nice kid, but he's got a very solid set of tools and um, possibility to stick at shortstop. Uh, nice compact swing. So... A very intriguing guy and somebody we should watch nonetheless because he will be representing the great state of Washington when he eventually goes out to further his pro career. Yeah. Yeah, I like all those guys. I, like I would it. happily take any any single one of I like a lot of them more than the names I listed up above them. So Kyle Russell would be cool. I, I think he's committed to... No, he's committed to Wazoo. He was committed he's to... committed to Wazoo. Yeah. So I feel like... I cannot the win. The college buyout might not be so difficult. I cannot win. Hey, hey. <laughs> I cannot win I, and I cannot lose. Yes, that is true. That, well, I mean, you you just cannot lose, right? Ideally, it's a win-win for mm-hmm. you either way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't want to see my, my school lose its, its creme de la creme. So, <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, um, for me, um, I got a few names on here that I really like. The first one that comes to mind is Shea Whitcomb out of the University of San Diego. Uh, He's a shortstop right now that gets average marks on his hit tool and his power tool. There's a lot of comparisons to DJ LeMayhew because he's like six foot four um, and he's going to be a second baseman at the next level. 
which you just don't see. Um, so I think that that would be a fun bat first uh, second base profile to dream on and uh, just kind of see what he makes of himself. Really um, performed well at the Cape this past year, so I'd like to see more of that. Justin Fall is a left-handed pitcher out of Arizona State. He certainly projects to be a starting pitcher at the next level. Three pitches, fastball, slider, changeup. Um, the two secondary offerings are, are pretty average, uh, with the slider being maybe a, a solid average. Um, but I don't think he gets enough credit uh, in Tempe because, you know, all of the headlines and accolades go to Spencer Torkelson and Alika Williams and Gage Workman, but... This year, uh, Arizona State had a gauntlet of a uh, non-conference schedule before the season got shut down, and he was like he was their Friday night guy against Texas A&M and um, oh, who else did they play? They played South Carolina and they just played. Vandy? A, did they play? Yeah, Vandy? yeah, yeah. They, oh wait, did they? They might have played Vandy too. I know UCLA played Vandy. They might have been in that tournament as well. They played New Mexico State with uh, with Nick Gonzalez. So. He's, yes, I remember that. Yeah, he's just faced really good competition, and he's held up well uh, in at every stop. And so I'd like to see a guy like that uh, infused into the organization. And then a couple more uh, big, tall, statured righties that uh, I just I like the way that they're built. Uh, Ethan Smith and Will Klein. Again, these are going to be a couple of guys that throw 93 to 96. They've got uh, above-average sliders and... Uh, a combination of a changeup and a curveball that keeps hitters off balance. I just think, you know, we're at a point where, like the Dylan Thompson thing a few years ago, you draft the guys that look like they could develop into something that they're not right now. And Seattle has not done enough of that in the last few years. And so wrapping up my entire draft, as you can pretty much tell, it's middle infielders, it's starting pitchers that look the part, and somewhere along the way, uh, take a catcher that you can develop. I find the catcher thing. Uh, I, I'm glad that you have you have, uh, I think, led the charge to some degree on on some of the catchers here, because uh, I I really find it uh, less interesting in, in this particular draft to to target a catcher. But that is, uh, I, I think that's be my unfair. Uh, sort of bias against this just because I'm I'm so enthusiastic about some of the other types of players. Here. Yeah, yeah, I agree, though. I'm not super excited, but I'm more excited by the prep catchers than I am by the, and when are, the college When catchers. are catchers ever, like, exciting? You know what I mean? <laughs> we Adley a... Rutschman and... Uh, hello, Will Banfield, That's my true. boy. That's yeah, true. I'm still I mean, waiting. There's... I still believe in you, Will. There's always still four or five. There's always four or five of them, but then it's just like, Here's the cliff. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Uh, well, I'll, I'll finish us up with just a, a few names here. Um, I put um, a guy who probably doesn't get here uh, in in uh, right-handed pitcher, Joe Boyle. Uh, not to be confused with uh, one of our three co-hosts here. Uh, that is Boyle, not, not Doyle. Um, you would also recognize the difference uh, if you saw Joe Boyle standing. Yes. Uh, and talk to him because he's got talent. Yeah. <laughs> well, just different sorts of talent, I think. Um, but Joe Boyle, 6'7", out of Notre Dame. Um, I, I think 
we when we talked about him at some point um riley pint was kind of a, a name that uh maybe made sense a little bit um if you're if you're not familiar with pint i believe he was he was a first rounder for the rockies several years ago i, I want to say he was a top 10 pick maybe eighth overall you, something like that i think like he was that. three was he that high my Let goodness me see. i think riley pint was number three but anyways um, continue on boyle boyle's not quite that level um but he is a, just i mean it's gonna be a strikeout or it's Fourth gonna be a walk. For pint. Fourth Sorry. overall for pint. Fourth overall for pint. Yeah. Um, I mean Whoops on pint. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, rough. Um He was he just hurt a lot? Uh, hasn't thrown strikes. Yeah, I mean, he can't throw strikes. throw strikes. Just yeah. just like absolutely, yeah. I mean and, and so for Boyle, again, you know, a big issue for guys uh that big is consistent delivery. Um he look, you know, he's he's athletic, but it's just you have such long levers that you're trying to to bring to bear consistently. So I also, mean, is there a rougher place he could have gone to get developed than the Rockies organization? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a tough ask. I mean, I think probably the idea was like his stuff's so good that it can cut through the you know cut through course, which maybe, mm-hmm. but it's not there yet. Um, literally so. cut through the yeah. wall of course I guess <laughs> yeah. when he throws it to the backstop yeah. <laughs> uh, so Boyle's had sort of similar similar issues there I mean you know when you're six seven and uh, you throw in the upper 90s like sits in the upper 90s like uh, 96 97 98 99 like pretty consistently but like walking more well more uh than he's facing uh or well more than he is well more than one per inning um i mean it's just not uh it's not sustainable at that level but at the same time i mean it is the quintessential like if they see what they can tweak in him you know there's you know, the, it is the arm talent sort of pinnacle, and and whether whether a team decides they want to take that in right now on him or not, I don't know. But I think that's a very good chance that uh, he is there, even though he could, you know, you could see him going like in the second or third round, or you could see him not taken at all. Who knows? Uh, I, I think it's possible that that Seattle, you know, says, "All right, we've got enough success with our pitching development." we think we can get this guy on track and that we're going to turn him into someone dominant. Cause that, I mean, you know, that's really what it could be. If, if he is down to even just plausible walks, walk rates, I mean, people aren't going to be able to hit him. Um, other couple guys, uh, another couple infielders here. Um, I, I, picked out uh trey cruz who i think would be fun in addition to a a a good fit um he's a college infielder uh played a lot of shortstop i think he should be able to hang there at shortstop um but he can also handle um you know you you could see him very easily being just like a middle infielder generally uh trey cruz because he is jose cruz jr the third um and uh (laughs) You know, Jose Cruz. Yeah, like Trey Tinkle. 
Yeah, or, or Trey Griffey. Um, it's so cool yeah. you can do that with your name. It's great. This one is T-R-E-I, which is very fun. Um, That's fun, too. I will say Trey Cruz is a lot cooler sounding than Trey Tingle. It is. Uh, <laughs> it is a little more. <laughs> you know on every job application, he's going to be Tingle Trey? Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, that is it is rough. Um, but I think third-generation Rice uh, player um, – He's he's got a fairly impressive um, bat speed and and pop uh, as a switch hitter. Um, he's he's got decent size, especially for like a college shortstop. You don't necessarily see you know guys who who look both you know who have the size and the frame to build strength. Um, he's not like blazing fast but he, he he's got some pop in him and I, I think that with a little more development he could really um turn into uh someone someone impactful uh even for uh well even for a fifth round pick which is being treated like it's so late in this but it, it's really not uh but I think he's someone they could get with the with the additional component of you know getting a little bit of upside play even as it is a college guy uh, and then the last guy I have there is just a third baseman uh, named Riley Tarota, who uh, I, is out of Dayton um, and is not necessarily, uh, you know, could just as easily be unpicked, but um, has sort of a similar frame uh, to a number of the infielders I've put on here. A um, lot of lot of power. Um, lot of or well decent power uh great speed um could play a number of spots uh and just uh, uh someone who i think that with good um with good development they could really get a steal on um but uh and and could get to sign especially if they go for one or two preps that they might need to go over for. Um, so I, I think that would be, that would be a good fit there at fifth at the fifth round. Um, so thank you to everyone for, for listening to us sort of list off uh, a number of names there. I, I think that was uh, a, a good breadth and there, there are, you know, so many guys that, that it could be as well, but just so many guys, hopefully, hopefully helpful as just like uh, a framing device on, on types of, you know, some, some names to look out for. And, uh, next week we are going to, uh, I mean, just be fully, fully draft prep. The, the draft starts next Wednesday. So if you have any questions, uh, feel free to, you know, drop them on the, uh, website or the, the, podcast article uh on lookoutlanding.com um you can at us on twitter um i'm at john troopin uh joe uh i believe you are at joe doyle m-i-l-b uh is that is that still correct am i that's correct yeah a couple of the other publications that i'm writing for are now calling me joe doyle melb (laughs) <laughs> it's uh it's a good little it's 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 no tray the milb. But, uh it's no tray tangle but it'll do um and of course kate is at kate producer um so you know feel free to reach out to us at any questions this week and and we'll try and get those covered and and yeah i mean it's it's next week y'all it it is 
very exciting. Um, yeah, it's it's good to have something to look forward to in that regard, as we led with, because there's you know there's been a real dearth. Um, but until until next week, uh, thank you. Stay safe.